You are now listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. In this podcast, the brain takes center stage when Ole Petteriella, best-selling author and professional speaker, explores the different dimensions of MS and brain health through conversations with international specialists within neuroscience, psychology and physical activity. The brain is the most wonderful, complex and mysterious organ we know. These words are taken from Nobel Prize winner Mai Bilt Moser's opening remarks in Kaya Nuringen's Your Superstar Brain, one of the many publications about the brain coming out over the last few years. Why has our brain suddenly become of interest? And what can our brain tell us? In this episode, we have the pleasure of having Professor Elisabeth Gulovsen-Selius, specialist in neurology, in the studio. Welcome to the studio, Elisabeth. Thank you. Brain health has become one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century. And everybody from politicians, healthcare professionals, authors, media, etc. is suddenly urging us to talk about the brain and brain health. Why does it seem like our brain suddenly has become of interest? We really don't know, but the brain is definitely the most important organ in the body. It's the brain that makes us a person, makes us what we are. We are thinking with our brain. We are everything we are doing is just managed by our brains. In 1995, we had the decade of the brain in the states, and in Europe and Norway, we had a year of the brain. And we tried at that time to make the brain the most important and make awareness of the brain. We didn't really succeed at that time. It was quite quickly forgotten. But then we have tried over the years to increase the awareness. And now it seems that we have managed, perhaps also because we are getting older and we are realizing that taking care of the brain makes us stay the person we are for a longer time, for the entire life. Yeah, you talked about the importance of keeping our brain in good health. Can you say something about how we do that? What is the best way to keep our brains healthy? The best way, in simple words, to keep our brain healthy is to use it. To use your body because the brain is what coordinates movements, initiates movements, and also thinking, memory, reasoning, everything is organized by our brain. So to be physically active, to use your brain, trying to remember things, learn new things, all your life is the best way to preserve your brain. Yeah, so the good old principle of use it or lose it. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, compared to other organs in the body, for instance, the heart, relatively little is known about the factors that influence brain health. Why is this? I think it's because it's a bit difficult to understand the brain. It's such an amount of neurons working together, forming a complex system, making us the person we are. Uh, and the problem is that you cannot take it out and investigate it and put it back. You have to understand it from outside. In the heart, it's kind of just a muscle. The cardiologist would not agree to that, but it's just a muscle pumping the blood around. But the brain is so complex. And I think that's the reason why we're trying to understand it. It's been an increasing amount of research into how the brain is functioning in the last years. Also because we want to get older, we want to be healthy up until really old age. 
So we need to understand it. Yeah, and there is a tremendous amount of research going on about the brain and we learn more and more every day, even though we have a long way to go. Yes, definitely. Many diseases will affect the brain. So it's extremely important to understand it. So Elizabeth, your area of expertise is MS. And a lot has happened in MS treatment over the few years. But can you start to tell us a little bit about what happens in the brain when a patient has MS? Yeah, we we really don't know and still we know quite a lot. We see that there is inflammation and inflammation causes destruction of the myelin sheet that surrounds the nerves. And if the myelin that surrounds the nerves are destroyed, the nerve will eventually also be destroyed and then you will lose function. What causes this inflammation is difficult. We don't know, but we believe that it's a combination of genetics. But there's a lot of genes involved. There's a publication coming out now showing that it's about 240 genes involved, but every gene just contributes very, very, very little. So it may be that you have more of these genes than I have, or a patient with MS have less than we have. So we cannot use this, but a combination perhaps of these genes and some environmental factors that we don't know. We see that people migrating from areas in the world with little MS to areas with much MS, like Norway, get MS to a greater extent than if they had stayed at home, telling us that something in our environment may contribute to the disease risk. But exactly what happens and how it starts, we don't know. We believe and saw also at the last MS Congress that the patient, years before we see or have any clear signs of disease, have the disease. So it seems to be there years before, probably even since adolescence. That's that time when it begins. And why does it kind of start with some degree of inflammation and at a later stage becomes apparent with symptoms? We don't know. MS is regarded as an autoimmune disease and like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, asthma, there are several other autoimmune diseases, but MS is one that then affects the brain. We see an increase all over the world of these diseases. If that also has to do with the environment, we don't know. Do we know anything about modifiable risk factors, things we can do in our own lives to protect ourselves from getting MS later in life? We don't really know that, but we think that a healthy lifestyle, to be active, to use your brain physically and mentally, that will allow you to have more reserves so that if something happens, it will take longer time before it becomes apparent. We see a rapid increase in the prevalence of certain brain diseases worldwide. Why is this? One reason is that we are getting older. We are, compared to 30, 50 years ago, the population is getting older, definitely. So many of these diseases will become more apparent, like dementia. If you die at age of 60, only a few will be a, have a dementia. If you die at age of 90, quite a lot. 
So aging is obviously an explanation, but also the availability of healthcare that it's compared to many years ago, it was kind of more difficult even to go to the GP, come to a specialist. Now you are calling up on social media, a doctor dropping into a doctor with even minor symptoms. And you are referred to a specialist for investigations. You're doing MRIs. So we are investigating and diagnosing more patients just because the specialists or the healthcare is more available. And that's also a reason why the prevalence is increasing in not only MS, but many diseases. Yeah, so it's not just that we are getting older and population growth. We're also better at setting the right diagnosis. Definitely. Sanofi Genzyme is a proud sponsor of the Global MS Brain Health Initiative, where the aim is to maximize lifelong brain health for people living with MS, creating a better future for everyone affected by the disease. The initiative calls for greater urgency at every stage from diagnosing, treating and managing MS. Time matters in MS. Read more about the initiative at msbrainhealth.org. Elizabeth, you are co-editor of the highly acknowledged international policy report, Brain Health, Time Matters in Multiple Sclerosis. Could you just briefly uh, explain to us the key findings in this report? Over the recent 20-25 years, we have had several new medications for MS trying to slow down the disease progression. And we manage obviously, to help patients staying healthier longer with the new medications. But we also saw that much awareness is on the medications and changing medication, the dose, which kind. And it seems that many forget to think about all the other things. And these patients, all the patients, do have symptoms. They need help and need someone to tell them about keeping their brain healthy and so on. So to increase the awareness about comprehensive care, that was the reason why. So we made these guidelines to tell what we think is the best way in diagnosing, how quick, what should be done and who should be involved. After diagnosis, what about information, listing what is necessary, including information on brain health, on physical activity, on diet, on cognition, how to preserve your brain. And then in follow-up, also remind everyone about thinking on rehabilitation and so on. So putting up timelines for this and saying this is what we think is necessary as a minimum standard, quite okay standard, and what should be really achieved. So could you say something very specific about what you are recommending? We are recommending that the time from referral to diagnosis should be short, that the diagnostic workup should be quick within few weeks. And when the disease is diagnosed, you should have information on the disease, on what's expected, on how you could cope with the disease, and you should see relevant specialists if needed. If someone is depressed, you should get help for that. If someone has been sitting in the sofa for years, they need help to try to start exercising. So different areas 
should be covered and you should think about all this, not just diagnosing and starting some kind of medication until the patient hopes everything goes well. And then also they should be followed regularly, at least half yearly in the beginning, with new information on all this. Because telling a patient one day that you should start doing exercise doesn't mean that the patient goes home and starts exercising. So you have to follow up that and ask Does it work? If it doesn't work, what can we do to help you? Is it perhaps some kind of rehabilitation you need? Stay in a rehabilitation unit for a while to help start something? Get more information? Yeah. So do that regularly for the whole lifespan of the patient. Yeah, so a really a comprehensive follow-up of the patients. Yes, by different specialists. So as a neurologist, you shouldn't work alone. You need... You need a MS nurse, you need a physiotherapist, you need a social worker, you need a neurologist, you need a psychologist, you need everyone. And you need also to work together with the patient's GP. Yes. My impression is that doctors like us, we are well trained in the biomedical part of the diseases we diagnose and treat, like MS. But how about everything else, like lifestyle choices and psychosocial aspects of diseases? Are we good enough? We are definitely not good enough. So this is an area with room for considerable improvement. We are doing far too little and kind of many patients, lack of time, you concentrate on kind of a prescription because that's easy and then good luck. Yeah. So we really have to consider this whole because that's the way we can help the patient. Perhaps the best way to help the patient is really all other things. And medication is perhaps just the minor help in the complete picture. Yeah, maybe this is a rhetorical question, but is our lack of training in these areas as doctors one of the reasons? I'm thinking uh, when I went to medical school, Many years ago, I I looked at my syllabus and I saw that I had 129 hours of pharmacology, I think. And I had nothing about physical exercise as medicine. So maybe we need to do some changes to the curriculum of the future doctors. So we learn more about other aspects of the disease, like prevention and psychosocial aspects, and not only the biomedical part of it. Definitely. Uh, now in Oslo, we have one-day seminar about MS for the medical students. We are starting that with one hour together with communication people about talking to patients with MS, with an MS patient there, to try to improve the way the doctors can learn to talk to patients. And then we are downplaying the role of the different MS disease modifications because what's available today, we have several medications, may not be what's available five, ten years ahead when these people are out working. And what they really need is to know what to do about the rest. So to increase awareness about all these other brain health matters, we're trying to do that, but... I think there's a big problem about this, as you said, pharmacology being the most important in the education. And what really matters is all these other things. And we're not really talking about it. Elizabeth, you are at the forefront of MS research. Could you tell us a little bit about what's hot on the research scene these days? What's really hot is the 
problem that we don't really know what causes MS. And we don't really know how to find the right medication for the right patient. So we are kind of today just, we have these new medications. We are trying to see if it works. If we could find the solution, what is MS, then we could choose that medication for that patient and this medication for that patient. And if we also could understand why the disease progresses. We know that the medications are helpful early in the disease course, but later it doesn't work anymore. And the disease progresses slowly in many patients. If we could understand that process and find medications, and that's really the main focus area of research today because there's a lack of knowledge. And also, just recently, there's been much more focus into what does physical activity. We know now that physical activity may modify the disease course. Really just exercise may help. So that's also an area of much focus. Do we think that exercise can prevent the disease as well? Perhaps not uh, entirely, but uh, it may help to, as I said also earlier, you're kind of building up a reserve. And if you have a big reserve, it takes more time before symptoms become apparent. MS treatment has come a long way in the last decade or so. Um, Do you have any clinical examples that you would like to share with us, some patient examples of how treatments practically influences people's daily lives? Oh, yes. Uh, When I started in neurology more than 30 years ago, we had lots of young patients that during a very short period of time became very ill, confined to bed or died. And remembering these young patients that died after a few years, it was horrible. And now we have Lots of young patients, but they are climbing mountains, uh, traveling all over the world. Uh, We have suddenly got new challenges with someone on a medication says that I'm going to stay in Africa for a year. Uh, Is that possible? Uh, Or how can you arrange that? Because I want to go. So they are living normal lives, doing whatever they want. We also see lots of these young people getting babies. And that's just wonderful that it's become possible. So it's a great change over the years. So the drastic changes that we that we have seen, are they mostly due to better drugs or does it have to do with earlier intervention? Can you say something about mm, that? We think that it has to do with the drugs because uh, if it just should have to do with diagnosing more people and more people with less advanced disease, more benign disease, then we would still see those young that it really went bad and we do not do that. So it's most probably the drugs that we can start early and that preserves the brain and makes it possible to live a normal life. Do most people still see MS as a muscle disease and kind of like a one-way ticket to the wheelchair or has things changed in the public's opinion? Uh, sadly, many people do think that. And I think one of the reasons is that if you see someone in a wheelchair, you know what's the cause of that. 
But if you see someone walk around, uh, climbing a mountain, doing sports, uh, talking about something, uh, being healthy, you don't know about the disease. So what people see around them is the bad cases and the older patients with a more advanced disease. So we have to try to educate the population about MS is a disease that you can live with. You can be active, you can work, you can do whatever you want. You can live a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. But those people living a normal life, they don't tell us about their disease. So they're kind of invisible. Right. Um, So looking into the crystal ball, if we could for a second, how do you see MS treatment developing over the next 10 to 20 years? We have over the last uh, 20, 25 years uh, had several new treatments and we really hope that we are going to solve the problem of finding something that can repair, that can help us not only prevent disease progression, but really repair what has happened. If it's possible, I don't know, but that's what we want and hope for. That would be a real change. When I was a student 20 years ago or so, I remember being told that we think that MS is an autoimmune disease. It was a hypothesis. Are we past that stage now? Can we say for sure that it is an autoimmune disease? Yes, we can, because uh, many have said that this investigation into genes has led to nothing. But yes, it has, because yes, I said we have about 240 genes involved. But what's common for these genes is that the vast majority of them are genes that influences the immune system. So that is the proof for it being an autoimmune disease. Yeah, and we also see that the drugs that work the best, they intervene with the immune system. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Well, excellent. I think that's about it. We have time for today. Um, Thanks for a really interesting talk, Elizabeth, and good luck with your future research and work with patients. Thank you very much. Hopefully we can do something good for the patients in the future also. Thank you for listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. 